Hey listeners, this is William Sterling, and you are listening to the Killer Mediums Podcast, where we talk to you about all of your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. I want to begin this episode with two big warnings. Uh, Number one, our usual full spoiler warnings for all of our major topics today. This is going to include the Call of Cthulhu video game, the movies Underwater, and The Thing, and then just a wide range of H.P. Lovecraft's works. So if you don't want spoilers for any of those, it might be a good time to turn the episode off and go listen to one of our other episodes. Uh, Second big warning, especially for this episode, uh, a lot of the artists that we're going to be discussing, we understand are problematic people. H.P. Lovecraft, obviously uh, very racist, very xenophobic. Richard Stanley, who directed The Color Out of Space, uh, he was slated for this whole trilogy of Lovecraftian movies, but he got canned by the studio for a bunch of allegations of abuse. Um, we are hopefully going to be approaching this with a separating the art from the artist kind of a vibe, but if you would like to go read or watch some cosmic horror by creatives that are genuinely great people, please be sure to look into Haley Piper, Victor Laval, Derek Hutchins, wink, uh, Jeff Vandermeer, and a bunch of others. Uh, I'm going to try to start a thread when this episode airs to build out a whole collection of recommendations. But okay, enough with the warning tags. In case you couldn't tell yet, today's topic is cosmic horror, and we're going to be joined by guest Derek Hutchins. Derek is an author and screenwriter. His short story collection, The Undertaker and Other Macabre Tales, is available on Amazon, along with the first book of his sci-fi series, Prison Planet. He's late to the game when it comes to cosmic horror, not having started reading it until his late 20s but it's quickly become his go-to genre. Let's get spooky! Foreigners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard it ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Derek, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You know, as far as I'm no, I, as far as I know, I'm not a character in a Lovecraft story, so I'm, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> not yet. Yes. Those cultists are coming. Brace for it. <laughs> um, so, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know I just read kind of the short version, but what what's what's your deal, man? That's my deal. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved horror. I'm a Goosebumps kid at heart. I um, always loved storytelling. Um, when I was a teenager, I decided I wanted to be a screenwriter. And so I, uh, was, I've been pursuing that. Like, I just turned 30, so I've been pursuing that, like, the last decade. I got my master's in uh, screenwriting from Emerson College. And I was living in L.A. for, like, four years. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, and it kind of drove us out. So <laughs> um, that's still my dream, but... Um, as the years progressed, I also started looking at other options. I started writing more prose, and I um, started working on short stories just because I hadn't been writing prose for so long. And so that's my first collection is just those those short stories that I was writing, just trying to get back into writing prose and um, hoping to I, – I just have so many ideas. I just have to get them out somehow. So, uh, yeah, I'm working on a lot of uh, novels and short stories and that kind of stuff now while I continue to make efforts to get – my screenwriting career off the ground. 
Super so. cool. I did not know the, the screenwriting aspect yeah. of you. So knowing that's that was your base and the yeah. the literature part of it is kind of branching off from that. That's cool. So that's um, where it all began. <clears throat> nice. Well, I wish you the best of luck with the screenwriting stuff. Thank you. <laughs> um, for today, uh, what brings us together here is the uh, the topic of cosmic horror. So. Uh, this is one of those things. This is a subgenre that really requires a little bit of nailing down. Like there are some other subgenres like slashers and things like that that you say that and et- instantly everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. And that's sort of the case here with cosmic horror, but I feel like the lines are very, very fuzzy with this. Like what exactly constitutes cosmic horror uh, in your mind? Let's start with that. Yeah, so it's kind of this like subgenre that a lot of people aren't familiar with. But here's what I would say. So generally speaking, there's some kind of threat whose origin uh, comes from outer space. Uh, there's themes of existentialism, undescribable horrors uh, that we can never hope to understand. Uh, going mad is generally as much of a possibility as death. Lovecraft is is widely considered the father of cosmic horror, even though there were authors who inspired him who kind of wrote it before him but he's the guy who gets the credit um a lot of his characters deal with the fear of the other um a lot of times in his stories there's archaeologists like exploring new places and they kind of discover that the world isn't exactly what they thought it was which is a terrifying idea i don't know if you have any anything else you'd like to add to that but that that, those are the things that i think of yeah i've got i've got my own idea um, but I love that idea of the other being the big scary thing, because like I was saying in the spoiler warning before this episode, cosmic horror is kind of odd in that some of the really big names in this subgenre, especially, are very problematic people. So I'm wondering if there's some sort of a connection between that and the subject matter here, not saying cosmic horror is trying to drive any sort of racism or anything like that. But if that is a driving force in the back of those creatives' minds, I could kind of see how they could get drawn into this genre. Oh, no, big, scary thing that I don't understand. Let me write some big, blown-up stories about that kind of a concept. I, I hadn't really put that together until you were saying that right there. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. I was I was actually just reading an article the other day about Lovecraft and, and his racism, and they were kind of the author was kind of saying that you know, a lot of people kind of have come to the conclusion that you can't really separate, like if if Lovecraft didn't have those fears and um, like the stories wouldn't really exist because those fears were were driving, uh, and those are like kind of what drove him to write these stories. So. It's a very complex <laughs> situation, for sure. It's it's hard to figure out exactly where to draw those lines with, like, I like the Lovecraft stories, but there's always that connotation behind it. Also, I just want to kind of go on the record here. We are 13 minutes into the recorded episode, and I have already completely gone back on what we said we were doing in the intro. We're going to separate <laughs> art and artists. Now, no, nope, never mind. We're just smashing them together. Um <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're diving straight into this conversation. Um, and it's hopefully going to be the heaviest part of this whole conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. right here at the beginning. Um, but yeah, that, that's really hard. So um, 
for me, what I was always focused on with Cosmic Core is the grand scale of what's going on here. Um, sometimes these stories don't really go anywhere beyond just a group of cultists and what they're trying to do or some spooky castle or some setting like that. But there's always something bigger at stake here. The stakes are never one person's um, one person's life or one person living or dying. It's always the fate of the cosmos, cosmic core, uh, at stake, even if it's telling a very personal grounded story within those stakes. Um, so I think that grand nature of things is kind of a hallmark of this. Um, and something that I want to dig into as we go through, because I feel like some of these mediums are very good at getting that scale across, and some of these mediums, maybe not so much. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a factor and something that is a huge draw for me personally, because I just... The higher the stakes, the more invested I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, kind of going along that lines, and you mentioned madness also. I think that's a really big, important aspect of these stories is you don't have a cosmic horror story without somebody's sanity being at stake. When you are faced with just how small you are in the world and how monstrous other things could potentially be that we don't know about, it's going to break your worldview a little bit. And a lot of times in cosmic horror stories, we see people grappling with those realizations of how small of a fish they are and how big of a pond uh, and just what else could be out there. Um, I don't know if I had anywhere I was trying to really go with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, right now it's, it's all a big mystery, uh, but you know, we might not like what those answers are. <laughs> You find out what's actually out there, you know, and that's the fear. It's a terrifying idea. Um, I know my little sister is absolutely terrified of space. She will not watch documentaries about space. She will not pay attention to anything with space. Like anytime somebody's going on ex space exploration, she like doesn't want to hear about it. I, I think she has a very healthy respect <laughs> of um we know nothing. We, mm -hmm. we, we know absolutely nothing. So I think this is great grounds for horror when we get exposed to all of those things that could possibly be out there. Really, the possibilities are limitless uh, with all the things that could go wrong here. Yep. And I think that's a really fun creative space for horror writers, horror directors, whatever else. Anything you imagine can be out there. <laughs> And anything you can't imagine. Exactly. And there goes your sanity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay, cool. Uh, so within the confines of this genre, we have come up with a couple of cool uh, movies, uh, stories, etc. to talk about. Um, I want to start with The Call of Cthulhu story from 1928. Uh, this is H.P. Lovecraft. This is... Uh, like you said, maybe not the first example of cosmic horror that we ever run into. Let me scratch that. Certainly not the first <laughs> example of cosmic horror that we ever run into. But I think this is one of the earliest stories that's still in pop culture and still super relevant today. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about what happens in this story? Maybe a little bit about why you feel like this story out of the entire Lovecraft lexicon 
why does this one stand out to people so much? Yeah, so I, I have prepared a short summary here because <laughs> it's kind of a complicated story um, in and of itself. It's divided into three parts, and it's, I mean, there's not, there, there was an adaptation of it um, by the Lovecraft Historical Society, which is like a black and white movie. Uh, which I actually own. I sought it out because I wanted to watch it. It's it's like pretty good, but they right. they made it um, to be like a silent film. To, so it'd be like a movie of Call of Cthulhu that came out in the 20s when it was written. So it's pretty cool. Cool. Um, okay. But there hasn't been like good oh. adaptation of that because it's kind of a, a difficult story to adapt in that like there's there's like multiple storylines. So so basically. Uh, <clears throat> There's this guy and his uncle dies. And as he's going through his uncle's things, he realizes that um, he was investigating, his uncle was investigating these dreams that people were having of this mysterious stone city and this cyclopean beast, which is Cthulhu, stalking through the, the water. And the dreams are all connected. And this guy learns that uh, people all are having these dreams of this being Cthulhu, who is one of the elder gods. And the elder gods are a legendary race of gods who came from space, who once ruled over Earth. And <clears throat> the legend goes that Cthulhu isn't dead, but only sleeping. And one day he will rise again. So as this man is digging through his uncle's stuff, uh, he also learns his uncle met a guy. This is like the second part of the story. Uh, his uncle met a guy who had a Cthulhu experience in New Orleans. He was a detective investigating disappearances in the area, and eventually he was led to this cult in the woods who were kidnapping people and sacrificing them to Cthulhu. And they're waiting for this guy to come back, this god. So the detective, detectives arrest everyone, but they don't really get any answers. So that's part two. Part three is about this nephew continuing this investigation of his uncle, and he reads about this sailor in the newspaper who came back from a shipwreck voyage um, where they basically encountered Cthulhu. And he tracks down this guy, this sailor's wife and reads his, this journal where he learns that uh, the sailor's ship crashed on the ruins of Cthulhu City and they accidentally woke him up. And Cthulhu kind of came out of his house and he started chasing them. And some through some fluke, some act of luck, they were able to get away and defeat him and send him back to his home. And he's still there. and He's currently uh, waiting for the day when he's going to come back. So... Uh, this guy doing the investigation, he was the only survivor, no, the sailor was the only surviving member of the crew, and he actually, he dies of mysterious circumstances before our protagonist can talk to him. So we end the story, our protagonist is super paranoid, and because um, everyone who's kind of been involved in this story has died mysteriously, and he's paranoid that he's going to be next, the Cthulhu cult is going to come get him. So that's, he's, he's writing this as a story like as a confessional and the event that he dies, someone can know what happened to him. So that's the story. Um, so what's so special about Call of Cthulhu? Uh, it's a good question. <laughs> what makes Cthulhu so appealing? There's not really anything appealing about him as far as the character Cthulhu goes. He's described as this disgusting alien monster and nothing good happens when he's around. Um, but I mean, we just, it's part of that is the reason I think it's attractive because he's a cool monster. He's a cool, entity and people I'm, i mean i'm a monster guy i love monsters i don't know why i love monsters i've just always been drawn to them so as a as far as monster design goes i think he's a pretty cool uh being uh but the story itself i think like you were saying about the stakes i mean the stakes are super high uh 
one of love it's one of the lovecraft tales where you actually feel like the whole world is in danger like they just accidentally woke up this god and they don't know what he's gonna do um he actually wakes up and gets out which doesn't happen in a lot of in a lot of the stories and so it's got this epic scale to it um you get a little of everything that makes lovecraft cool the paranoia the cults the investigation angle makes it like a mystery that's unfolding um yeah, it's it's kind of got a little bit of everything, so that's that's what I would say. I don't know if you have anything else, any other thoughts about it. Yeah, so two of the things that I really liked about this, uh, number one, kind of what you were just touching on, this almost feels like a prequel to the real story that's going to come next, because it builds up to okay, Cthulhu is awake and he is out and he is mad and people are dying. Yeah. And uh, the the main author, whose name? Thurston. Yeah, uh, Thurston has done all of this research, and oh crap, now he's going to be next, and it feels like his story is really getting started. Um, so I feel like that just unlocks the reader's creativity, is we've got this good, creepy, condensed story here by itself, but then also, oh crap, what's going to come on next? Um, and I think that's one of those places where horror thrives is where it doesn't really tell you what's going on and where it doesn't really show you the death and the destruction. They, they leave some of it to your imagination. And that I think he does a really good job of that with this story. Yeah. Um, and then another oh, big thing sure. I like is mm. uh, the fact that most of this story is not Thurston's story. Uh, one of the big things that Lovecraft does, one of his tricks is he gets a layer removed from the action. So Thurston is reading somebody else's account of this search for Cthulhu, um, of this discovery of the Necronomicon, of all of these different things. So when when Thurston is describing, oh, there were these horrors and they were too unspeakable to mention, it feels a little bit like a cop-out. Like, okay, Lovecraft couldn't just think of a way to describe this. But it also makes sense in the context of the story, like the person that saw it is losing their mind, so they wouldn't have written it down, so Thurston doesn't know what to call the thing. I just think that's a really neat trick that you only really get in a short story or you only really get in a novel. Because on a movie, you're, you're forced to show the thing. Um, eventually, by the end, we would hope. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a video game, uh, totally different rules there. Um, but yeah, I'd, I really like both of those aspects of this story. Yeah, it really leaves it up to your imagination, which is, like you said, that's the strength of the written word. <laughs> yeah. So. Cool. Cool. Okay, so we've got we've got Call of Cthulhu, the short story that sets this up, and then I think this is a pretty easy segue into Call of Cthulhu, the video game. Um, so I will be totally honest here. I did not play. I was gonna say. Game. <laughs> But I pulled up a YouTube playthrough, and I watched through that. What? Okay. How? How do you feel about the game? Well, before we get to that, I feel like <laughs> I gotta mention there's the original tabletop Call of Cthulhu game, which I haven't played. Okay. Which apparently was super influential in kind of bringing Lovecraft back to the mainstream in the '80s. Um. So I haven't played it, so I'm not really gonna say anything else about it. But I feel like historically i need to mention that uh <laughs> so i i can spin off into the tabletop stuff in just a minute okay, I, okay i've played a lot of those yeah so 
Um, it's been a while since I've played the game, but I, I'm not a huge gamer myself, but I really liked it overall. Um, I think part of what makes Lovecraft games popular is that the cosmic horror is really something that needs to be experienced to really grasp the horror of it. Like you were saying in the story, like you're a few levels removed, so you don't really, uh, you can't really understand the details of what's going on sometimes in the stories. But in the game, and especially in the video game, like you're right there and you see everything. Um, so, yeah, uh, the video game really has nothing to do with the story, Call of Cthulhu. So I think that, <laughs> I think that's important my, to say. One of my big takeaways. Too. Yeah, <laughs> it's a totally different story. It just steals the name. <laughs> he yeah. does show up at the end, though. So there's that. Uh, it's a, it's about a detective investigating a death. Um, it's been a while since I've played it, so I don't remember too many of the details. But the thing I really liked about it is that. The further the detective kind of goes as far as like learning about this um, cosmic horror world and these other entities is he he really uh, his sanity starts to slip and you get to experience that firsthand with him. Uh, you, you think, whoa, am I going crazy? Because his his head pounds and you feel it and you see it in the on the screen like uh, shrinking and growing and he'll wake up in strange places. He'll hear voices. And, it kind of adds this another level to it, which is pretty cool. Uh, and you're trying to piece together this puzzle of what's going on. And you're, you're trying to escape from an insane asylum. Um, and Lovecraft stories are cool, but I don't think he ever did anything quite like that, where you aren't sure whether you can trust the the person writing it or not. I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, I get that. So, yeah. So those are, those are my main thoughts about the game. I would definitely play it again. <clears throat> okay. Cool. Um, I, first of all, I was thrown by the fact that it had nothing to do with the story. (laughs) That, um... Disappointing uh, on some level. (laughs) Right. Like, they they had a really good, they had some really cool, like, places they could have played within the story, like being the detective going into New Orleans and breaking up that cult or doing things like that. And instead, they decided to set it in an insane asylum, which turned out to be fine like it was it it was interesting to pick your way through too but there was always just this kind of shock in the back of my mind like i don't i don't quite know what i'm playing here right in my case i don't quite know what i'm watching here um but then beyond that i'm used to video games where you are very much in the driver's seat of the action and what's going on i like i like shooters i like uh, those co-op online games, like I'm really into Evil Dead, the game right now. Like that just mm-hmm. came out, and that's that's that is my jam. <laughs> uh, but there's there's a lot going on it all the time, and you're making a bunch of decisions and trying to win things. This game played to me a lot more like those old point-and-click adventures. Um, most of the most of the gameplay is revolving around puzzles. Uh, and most of the, if you're not in a puzzle, you're, you're in detective mode and you're walking around and you're looking for clues and there's these little, little dots popping up all over the screen. And, uh, the person who's, who I was watching play through was just like walking up and clicking on the dots and it definitely draws you in. It definitely makes you like really pay attention to what's going on there. Um, but it's just a totally different style than what I was really expecting yeah it's definitely like an exploration game which if you're not into that you probably won't love it (laughs) it's pretty slow it can be slow but it's also like like you said you you are 
I mean, you're not not in control. Like you're the one walking around the space, kind of exploring different things. But yeah, very different style of gameplay. There are a few moments where you really have to like, like when you're trying to escape from the insane asylum, like there's guys gonna like pop in the alley and hide from them and stuff. But yeah, it's mostly not action oriented. <clears throat> yeah, but it's in the benefit of the story. So right. uh, like it, it makes sense why they did it the way that they did it. Like you couldn't, I don't think you could make a Lovecraft game that was a run and gun. Like <laughs> if you were running around, like shooting a bunch of bullets at Cthulhu, like that would rob Cthulhu of a lot of what made Cthulhu Cthulhu. Like he's supposed right. to be this big shambling mountain that's coming after you. And the bazooka is not going to do anything to that. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but then spinning this off into, like you mentioned, there are a couple of tabletop games that try to tackle uh, the Cthulhu and the cosmic mythos also. Um, the two big ones that I'm super familiar with, there's one that's an actual board game uh, called the Eldritch Horror. I think that's it. It's something Eldritch. Mm-hmm. Um you get this big board with the world, you pick an investigator, and you're running around trying to find clues to track down the cultists before they unleash the big monster. And if they unleash the big monster, then you pre- you pretty much lose. Um, and there's also something else that my wife and I got really into before we got kids. Um, the, the Arkham Horror card game. They've got this trading card game, basically... Um, where you you build a deck and then um, you're you're kind of fighting your way through this storyline. They've got these randomly generated storylines that you'll flip over a card and you'll see what the next big event is. And it's kind of the same as the Eldritch Horror thing, where you're trying to stop cultists from unleashing the big bad. Um, but it it's all randomly generated, so you never really know what's coming next. You, there's all these different scenarios that could play out depending on which cards you're flipping when. Um, and your your player is getting randomly assigned weapons and randomly assigned skills based on the deck that you built, and you're trying to, trying to battle your way through this. They do a really good job of keeping the pros on all the cards similar to Lovecraft's style. When you're reading about these things that are happening, it feels like you're reading a Lovecraft story. Um but something that both of those t- tabletop games do that I'm trying to circle around to in a very roundabout way here, something that they do is you are not just bound by trying to keep your physical health up. You're not just taking bludgeoning damage or piercing damage or any of those other D&D things. There's also a mental damage aspect of it. I thought it was really cool that both of those games, the board game and the, the trading card game, um, acknowledged that your sanity was such a big part of the Cthulhu mythos that they needed to track it as a damage mechanic in a game. So as you're going through these scenarios, there's going to be some cultists with a knife that are trying to stab you, but there's also, if you come around a corner and you look straight upon the monstrosity, you lose sanity points. And if your sanity goes away, then you turn into a bad guy and other players have to kill you at that point and there's all this cool stuff that can happen and i just i love that mechanic so i had played those games before i got into the video game and i was really looking for that mechanic to manifest itself some way 
um, as the player sees these unspeakable horrors and as as the main character in Call of Cthulhu got closer and closer to the badness going on here, how was that going to change stuff controls-wise, or how was that going to change stuff um, with just how the player was supposed to approach the game? And like you said, they found a couple of ways that seemed kind of cool with the with the head throbbing and just like scenes ending and you starting in a different scene. Uh, I think they, sorry to interrupt, but I think they have like, um, in my, because there's different endings, so I think there's different ways you can go. But I okay. think mine, like some of the text, like you have a choice and some of the text is like in a different language. <laughs> like, oh like, my God. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So there it is. There's what I was looking for. And I just didn't notice that when I wasn't playing yeah. it myself and I was just watching the playthrough. Okay, cool. Yeah, I I love little tricks like that. I feel like that's really getting to the heart of Lovecraft's stuff in a way that like a movie or a book couldn't have. Like you can't go change the text in a short story to read differently for different people. Um it's it, it is what it is, but a video game kind of has that fun playable uh angle to it. And I love seeing when people find creative ways to approach that. Yeah. Yeah, so as far as Eldritch Horror, I've played Eldritch Horror quite a few times. Um, I think I actually think Arkham Horror is a board game as well. And it's because the way it was described to me is Eldritch Horror is like a simplified version of Arkham Horror. Like Arkham Horror was like way more complicated, so they had to make another version of it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Eldritch Horror is like way too complicated for me. So I can only imagine how complicated Arkham Horror was. Uh, but that card game sounds cool. I might have to check that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it is a massive time suck. Like, yes. <laughs> it, it took us way more time to set that game up than it took us to play any single round of it. So yeah, yeah. we've got two kids now, and there is just 0% chance of that happening anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, similar, similar experience with Eldritch Horror. And it's interesting because it actually is more of like a battle game where you these monsters are coming through these gates and you're fighting them. So you, you pose the question, can yeah. you, yeah, can you make a Lovecraft action game? And obviously they did. So obviously it's possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Fair. it definitely changes like the experience. Like it's not totally true to what Lovecraft is doing, but I think there are different kinds of cosmic horror. And so it's, even though it's not exactly like a Lovecraft story, it's still fun and it's still cosmic horror. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's another thing that I think is kind of fun here with the Lovecraft stuff is there are so many different angles that you can take with this because it's not a couple of books here. It is an entire like back catalog of short stories that go in a bunch of different directions. So um yeah. Call of Cthulhu leans more into the mystery aspect of things. Um Whereas other stories are much more, yeah, this person's going insane and there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> um, or, yeah. or much more like one-on-one -on -one with the cultists and trying to stop them that way. Um, I, I think that's that's a fun thing about having this as opposed to just a story, um, looking at Lovecraft's works as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, another, another thought I had about the game is... Um, there, there are clearly defined rules, like in order to defeat these monsters, you have to do A and B things. Um, and kind of what one of the things that makes Cosmic Horror so scary is that there are no rules. Like you don't know 
how to win and you don't really know at least as far as Lovecraft stories go like you don't really know and even even when you do win like it's not a total victory usually like there's still the lurking threat that something is out there um, <laughs> coming to get you uh, but putting that aside I think uh, what the game does well is it pits humanity against these cosmic monsters and it's so freaking hard to win like I don't know if if your experience is any different but like I don't think I've ever won the game I've never beaten the game Talking about Eldritch Horror? I play, I learn something. Yeah. 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 We won. Like every time I play, I Okay. We won one game, and it was such a monumental thing for us that we immediately started going back and figuring out where we got the rules wrong. Like we right. had to do something wrong. There, there's no way this actually happened. I must have not taken mental points where I was supposed to, or not taken, like something. There's no way we did this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm usually a fan of like, easy to learn games and this is not that at all <laughs> this is like the hardest game i've ever played the rules are so complex like every time i play i learn a new thing that we were supposed to be doing that we hadn't been doing before <laughs> yes i'm glad that wasn't just us yeah so as far as like but that's the cool thing about that is that like the stakes are so high and you probably won't win and so that really helps illustrate like the theme of existential horror cosmic horror <laughs> like, yes it's so scary <clears throat> the odds are stacked against you <laughs> he and my wife could not banish yogg back to where they came from like in real life our chances are zero in yeah life, our chances are zero so this is all yeah. this all aligns yeah <laughs> okay so i think do you have any more thoughts about Lovecraft specifically, or should we spin off into some other stuff here? We can go off. Let's All right, it. let's go off. Um, so the next thing we had written down to talk about was the movie The Thing. Um, and I want to go ahead and start this one off, because I've got, I've got some thoughts here. Okay. One, I love this movie. It is amazing. I think John Carpenter is the godfather for a reason he does not he does nothing wrong he does things wrong but the vast majority of things he does are solid gold um and this carpenter is carpenter in his prime example it. right it's carpenter in his prime yeah all that said when you proposed this for the episode it took me a second to wrap my head around why it's cosmic horror um I love it as a creature feature, but I want you to go into a little bit why you put this in the category of cosmic horror, because I think there's an argument to be made here. Yeah. But um, it's also interesting. Yeah. So I could be wrong about this, but I feel like I've read and heard confirmed to me that John Carpenter is a Lovecraft fan and that that was like definitely an influence on this movie. That being said, Aside from that, if we look at the what are the kind of the tenets of cosmic horror, we got um, something that comes from space. We are pretty sure that this monster entity thing came from space in the thing, right? So we got that. Yeah. It's something that you can't really understand. Like this thing can shift into anything. It looks disgusting. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> as far as creating like what a Lovecraft kind of 
monster would look like, this is the closest that we have. Like, this unimaginably abominable thing. <laughs> um, and the special effects are incredible, which is a huge reason why this movie is as popular and famous as it is. Um, and then there's the the themes as, as far as, like, existential horror, paranoia, um, which are very much Lovecraftian. He, he uses those themes a lot. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're the whole time. Like, the script is so good where you don't know who's good and who's bad. Um, and at the end, you still don't know. And so it's got that, you know, cliffhanger at the ending. So I, I know I'm not the only one that, <laughs> that thinks that hugely inspired by Lovecraft. So, but yeah, those are my thoughts about how it relates to Lovecraft. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I, I think all of that is spot on with me. That's not the first place my mind went to it, but the more and the more and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, he, he yeah, this, yeah. this absolutely is. I think that paranoia that you mentioned is such a key element to this, um, not just the thing itself, but um, cosmic horror in general, trying to figure out how to stop the thing, not being sure if you even know what the rules are with the thing you're trying to stop. Um, I think that's such a hallmark of the genre, of the trope, um, and it is the driving force behind so much of this movie. Um, yeah. Okay. Your your opinion. Who's the thing? Yeah. The end? <laughs> um. I actually I don't have an opinion. That's not because I haven't thought about it, but like ultimately, in my mind at least, it doesn't matter because they're screwed either way. <laughs> like. No matter what what happens, like they're both dead in my mind, so it doesn't it doesn't ultimately matter. Well, I don't know. What what are your thoughts? I I know there is some like big conspiracy theory that's been around about like something in the people's eyes. Whenever they're the thing, like I guess there's some blue light in people's eyes or some glint in people's eyes that's supposed to be the tell uh, that John Carper's carpenters like winking at us like hey you see the thing that's them mm -hmm. and apparently that's all that's that's in that final scene with mccready um it's not Kurt Russell, right? the other guy yeah yeah I, I don't i don't know i don't yeah i feel like that's one of those things like when you're in a high school literature class and the teacher's talking about oh yeah the color blue symbolizes this and you know, the author's like they i didn't no, it was just a yeah. uh, it, it might be the fans afterwards digging way too into something that's not real, but I, I I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I don't think I mean, that really matters. Like they're yeah, that's the die. whole point. Like you're not supposed to know. Yeah. And that's what's so scary about it. <laughs> like you can't know either way. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I also like this movie because uh, when we had our first kid we kind of had this 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 little moment where we binged a lot of horror movies while they were still an infant and like doing their thing. Right. Um, you got to get it in while they're before they get it too old. <laughs> exactly. Like as yeah. soon as the little booger's conscious, like you can't just watch horror movies all day. Like they're, exactly. they're, they're going to start processing stuff. This is the one movie 
that even when he was two months old, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, we shouldn't be watching those right now with the with the cages <laughs> in the back. Uh, when they go yeah. back there with a the flamethrower and the thing is just this yeah. hideous, amorphous, <laughs> screaming world. We're like, all right, we, we found our line. <laughs> we, we found yeah. the limit. Uh, um, have you seen, uh, I don't quite know what to call this without spoiling something massive. Have you mm-hmm. seen the 2011 version of the thing or the 2012 version or whenever they. Repeat? Yes. It's a, it's a prequel. Yes. Right? Okay. That's what I was trying yeah. to avoid. <laughs> I don't remember like too much about it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I know Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in it. Who is amazing in yeah. everything she ever touches. Yeah. Her to death. But this was not it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I, I remember I mean, they it, were trying to pitch it as a remake, but then it wasn't a remake and it was a prequel and nobody really caught on to that until like it was actually in theaters. We're like, oh, wait a second. This was marketed completely wrong the entire time. Yeah. And there was a there was a practical effects version that they scrapped at the last second and with went with CGI instead. It was just it was a mess. <laughs> that's the that's the nail in the coffin right there but yes if yeah. my memory serves it was okay <laughs> like it wasn't yeah like it wasn't terrible but not not anything close to its predecessor that's for sure no um okay we don't have anything else that we had on the docket here but are there any other are there any other movies or any other stories or any other games that we should spin off and talk about for a quick second? Mm. Um, not that I want to like really dive into and discuss some depth, but if I had to recommend a few cosmic horror movies to be watched, I would say the... Black and White Call of Cthulhu that I mentioned earlier. I would say um, From Beyond, which is, a, I think it's a Stuart Gordon, right? Um, from the 80s, which is an adaptation of a really short Lovecraft story. And then I would say uh, the movie Dagon, which is, um, I think it's also the Stuart Gordon. Yes, and as we're Shadow recording this, I've got a I've got a Twitter thread going of people recommending cosmic yes. stuff, and somebody threw Dagon out there, so I know I need to come back for that. It's so good. I think that might be my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, um, you're like on the edge of your seat like, the whole time. <laughs> okay, so what, good. So what's um, the premise there? Is that an act? Is that a straight so, adaptation of Dagon? So have you read Shadow of Rinsmith? Yes. Okay, so it's it's not a straight adaptation. It, the, the basic premise is the same. Like it starts off with these um, this young couple who are like on a boat off the coast of Spain, and their boat sinks, and then they, the couple makes it to shore. And then this, the town that they're in is like infested with these half human, half fish creatures, and it's like suspense for like the next hour of the movie like as this guy they try to navigate this town and like i think the girl gets kidnapped and he's got to go like rescue her but this creature like it's not the budget isn't huge but for what they had it looks like the creatures look so good 
Okay. It's it's amazing. Cool. I don't want to spoil anything else. So. Yeah. Okay. I I, I will. <laughs> I'll let you leave it there. Yeah. Um, and okay. So with that, let's kind of spin off into our two big wrap-up questions. Um. So. If this is the killer mediums podcast and we are trying to compare all these different mediums together, um, which of these stories do you think is, or which, which of these mediums do you think is the best manner of approaching the cosmic horror trope? Yeah. So, well, it started with short stories, right? And so there's something romantic about that, especially with cosmic horror, you can really emphasize how indescribable these things are, um, or give limited descriptions and leave it all up to the imagination, which which is a strength. Um, that's one of the the great critiques of cosmic horror films is that you, how do you depict the undepictable? And I'm obviously a movie guy myself, so I, I think there's a way to do it. Uh, I understand the argument, but I think there's um, a way to do, to show it. Uh, the thing is probably the best example of that. Um, or the most successful, but I definitely like. I want to see more cosmic horror films because um, there there aren't a ton of like classic cosmic horror films. So I hope that more get made. If I can make them, even better. <laughs> uh, I think video games are cool because you actually get to experience that horror yourself, and you're not just watching characters go through it. Um, you're the one going through it, and uh, so if anyone listening knows of any good cosmic horror games, please recommend them. I'm always looking for more. Um, but as far as what I think would make the best Cosmic Horror experience, um, so when when we get there, I think a virtual reality Cosmic Horror game would be like the ideal way to experience it. Like you're you're by yourself, you're playing this game at night, you're totally immersed in the world. Um, maybe it's Cthulhu, maybe it's not. <laughs> but I think that is, in my mind at least. Like, I think that's going to be the, the capstone on it. I love it. For for me, I was saying the same thing. I think <clears throat> video game eventually is going to knock this thing out of the park. Uh, I think they need to go a little harder into the madness elements than Call of yeah. Duty did, though. Um, give, me, give me a game where... They establish the rules in the first half of the game. These are the controls. Here's how you do stuff. And then just completely break them when you see the thing. Like, yeah. up is down now. Left is right now. None of these buttons are working. And you start freaking out just as much as the characters are. Like, give me that full immersion. And like you're saying, yeah. VR is probably the way to go with that. Um, yeah. I, I'm not into VR gaming too much. I know I tried Resident <laughs> Evil 7 one time with a VR headset and never again. Um, it is it is something else when you've got the goggles on and there is mm -hmm. not a real world protecting you in your peripheral vision. Yeah. Um, um, if I don't know. That, then yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you ever heard of a company called The Void, um, okay. but they, they shut down in the pandemic, unfortunately, like permanently. Uh, but before that, they were, were they had some stations in like your city, so like LA, New York, and a couple other places. Um, but they were trying to create this like physical location, like a physical maze 
for like virtual reality games and i got to do it when i was in la and they had like a star wars game like a rogue one star wars game and so you like it's kind of like laser tag where like you put this helmet on and you put this like vest on and then you go through this like physical maze and like the world is you're walking through is like it was like a death star like it was so cool and that's like the coolest gaming experience i've ever had like you were like literally shooting stormtroopers like in person (laughs) so if they can get there yeah it was like the coolest thing ever did the stormtroopers all miss when they tried to shoot back (laughs) (laughs) yeah perfect immersion yeah (laughs) uh yeah, we need to have a whole separate episode where we get into Star Wars then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I have some thoughts there. Um, but okay, I, I feel like we're kind of getting into this already, so I'm going to dive into our, our last kind of wrap-up question here. Mm-hmm. Um, give me your million-dollar idea, budget is not a concern, some studio is going to back you wholly and completely with no notes on your vision. If you are trying to make the perfect cosmic horror experience, what do you make? Well, I mean, personally, my expertise is in screenwriting. I've never written like a video game, um, but I feel like I got to stick with my video game answer. Like, I, I would find a way to make it to do it. <laughs> I'd <laughs> yeah. find a way to make a a VR like Cthulhu detective story where like you're trying to piece together. The mystery and maybe there's some personal implications for you like it ties in your family somehow or something like that but you know your sanity is slipping and like you said you can find fun ways to make that you know part of the game either with the controls or with the experience itself um i don't have i don't have it all thought out obviously but if i was gonna pitch it i would <laughs> yeah. worth that out but you know you got you got to play it alone at night that's one of the rules <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, that reminds me. There was a there was a game that came out a little while ago, um, by the the guy that made Host, that movie that was on Shutter that won all the awards. Um, it's called Ghosts, and it was this live mm-hmm. video game experience. Like the game would activate at a certain point at night, and you had to play it live at night when it was activated. So it sounds like you're pitching something, something yes. kind of like that. That would be, I, I didn't get to play Ghost. I'm, I'm behind on the curve there. But I love that concept of you're not allowed to play a horror game in the middle of the day. That's, yeah. that's, take, take off your, uh, your safety rails there. Oh. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So um, do you have any more thoughts to kind of bring us home on Cosmic Horror here? Uh, no, I think I think we talked about everything we wanted to talk about, pretty much. Well, if you haven't read Cosmic Horror, go check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is all a big pitch to get more people driven to Cosmic mm-hmm. Horror. Let's go. Uh, it is experiencing kind of a new a new wave of resurgence. I feel like yeah. it feels like there's there's more and more and more Cosmic Horror material out there. Uh, recently than ever before so yeah. I, did wa- I did want to say because yeah. I know you talked about Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage um, so that company that did that one I think I know they're planning on two more movies of two more adaptations of Lovecraft stories and I know the next one is the Dunwich Horror 
Yes. I don't know if it has Cajun or not. I haven't heard that, but I know it's coming. I know the movie's coming, so be on the lookout. Okay, I thought the episode was ending, but we're getting a second wind here. Okay, (laughs) Nicolas Cage is killing the cosmic horror scene right now. Mm -hmm. With that Color Out of Space movie, with with Mandy, that had some cosmic horror elements to it. And I'd even say with Willy's Wonderland, the uh, the movie where he attacks demented Chuck E. Cheese, it could like, be. there were some elements of that that felt very like broad and paranoid and cosmic-y. So, yeah, I I am all for that if that studio wants to continue on with that trilogy. Is that better movie? Uh, yeah, Color Out of Space is definitely more cosmic, I think. It's probably the best example of a cosmic horror film in recent times. So if you want to watch something recent, check that one out. Yes. Um, okay. Um, I, I didn't realize the Color Out of Space was just purple. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was one of my well, ways. <laughs> how do you do, again, how do you depict a color that doesn't exist? Like... <laughs> You that's, can't. That's the yeah. constraint with film is you, yeah. you have to show it somehow. Yeah. Um, but I think they did a really good job with that. And again, with the amorphous, horrifyingly creepy thing, um, that attic scene mm-hmm. has been just permanently scarred. Oh my gosh. I haven't watched it since. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, they did such a good job with that movie. I'm yeah. I'm so disappointed that the director turned out to be such a heel. Uh, um, yeah. And I'm I'm hoping, like you said, that the the studio's still got the plans for the rest of the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, the works. Well, so, well, this reminds me. Sorry. Um, yeah. This reminds me of uh, one more movie that we have to look forward to, which is Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. Um, I don't know if you know the history of that, but he was planning on making it like years ago and like the studio it was going to be like an R-rated like over a hundred million budget like cosmic horror movie with Tom Cruise in it like he was attached to be yes. in it and then the studio was like eh we don't want to spend that much money on an R-rated horror movie like we don't have that much faith in it so they canned it but apparently Del Toro was rewriting it as like a much smaller budget like weird horror movie so there's still hope. There's still hope that it could come to fruition here. <clears throat> I, I feel like that's the better way to go with it, actually, is going smaller budget. Like, we've yeah. seen in recent years, like, a bunch of these indie horror studios making the better movies than the big budget. Like, heaven help us with the Universal Mummy fiasco. <laughs> but um, then they did The Invisible Man, which is amazing. Right, right. So I don't... I I attribute that a lot more to Lee Winnell than Universal or anybody else. Right, right. Included. I am a I'm a shameless Saw fanboy, so anything <laughs> that touches or James touches, like I'm, yes. I'm, I'm sold already. Yeah. Um. But that's cool. I I had heard about that movie so many times for so long. I just assumed it was in development hell and dead. Yeah. So to hear that he's reworking it, it's actually still a possibility. That's awesome. Yeah. This is recent news. Okay, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> and we're going to drop the episode in August. So. 
Uh, the the movie will be out by the time I was going to say it could be out on the air. My my recording schedule is not. I, I don't have this thing quite nailed yet, but we're getting there. Stick with us, season two. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. We're, we're gonna have this thing down to a science. Um, well, Derek, it was amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, if our listeners had fun here, uh, where else can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle on Instagram is the man who knew just enough. And I'm on Twitter as Derek M. Hutchins. Awesome. And what cosmic level horrors have you unleashed in the wild? Uh, I know we mentioned the titles of your stories earlier, but if you wanted to pick one for readers to really dive into. Um, okay. What's your... So unfortunately, the ones I've published aren't cosmic horror so far. Because I, I came to Lovecraft late in the game, and so I those stories were already written or already being written at the time so i've recently in the last year or two started writing my own cosmic horror so i have a short story that is in an anthology coming out i think it's july now so the anthology is called uh dead stars and stone arches it's a utah cosmic horror anthology so it's coming out i think july um and then i'm working on a novella cosmic horror novella and a collection of short stories the novella is written so that'll probably come out first um so stay tuned awesome and now we know where to follow you to stay tuned so perfect exactly all right well looking forward to those so much um to everybody listening thank you for joining us we gotta mention we gotta mention killer be killed oh yeah yeah my (laughs) my thing i write novels that's cosmic horror I've got a I've got a reverse camp slasher that like somehow in the confines of a reverse camp slasher dives into cosmic horror also. Uh, yeah. I I did not I did not really pay attention to rules when I was writing that book. <laughs> um, there are no rules. There are no rules. It's just whatever would be the most fun. Yes. Uh, William has written an, an incredible, hilarious cosmic horror slasher. That you should all check out. Available now. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. In stores it. everywhere. In stores everywhere. On Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, the the suffering of an indie horror writer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Sorry I interrupted your closing remarks there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Interrupt those all the time. <laughs> no, nobody cares. I already turned the episode off by this point anyhow. Um, sorry, sponsors. <laughs> waiting for the closing credits. Um, yeah, okay. Um, so I should go ahead and close this thing out now. Um, to everybody listening, thanks so much for joining us. Do, uh, don't forget to like or subscribe or offer up your sanity to the streaming service of your choosing, and we will see you next time. I am William Sterling, and this has been another episode of the Killer Mediums Podcast. <laughs>